while they're going down, I just want to let everyone know it's been a great time this week. We've had my mom in town, and uh, if you've not gotten to see her, do so. She flies out Tuesday afternoon, has to go back home, but uh, it's been good to have her here, um, and uh, I appreciate her and love her very much. Turn to your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. This morning I'm going to be talking mainly to Christians, specifically those who feel that they are in a rut. Now what is a rut? A rut, by definition, is a habit or pattern of behavior that has become dull and unproductive but is hard to change. I've had many people ask me about the series that I'm doing on Wednesday uh, night in my live youth uh, night evening service, and then on Sunday morning, we do the same thing uh, in our youth Sunday school. And I've had some of you ask, well, what is all that about? Well, this morning, you're going to get a little dose of it, because it is my mission this morning to encourage you to get out of your rut and to get moving forward once again. Now, this is not going to be your typical Sunday morning message where we take a passage of Scripture and we exegete it. You are all now in my youth Sunday school class. And you're going to study a book that we've been studying called Rhinoceros Success by Scott Alexander. And uh, I'm going to give you the biblical direction of this book this morning. The key verse is found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I love this verse dearly. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will take the next few minutes. I pray that you will use them mightily according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Scott Alexander wrote this book, Rhinoceros Success, when he was 23 years of age back in 1980. Since then, there have been three of these books written and have sold over three million copies all over the world and in different languages. This is a book that describes the thing that we call life. The most effective strategy it talks about is taking action and pursuing goals with no hesitation. This idea is illustrated by using two metaphors, a rhinoceros and a cow. And even though a lot of what I will be talking about this morning is from this book, I want you to understand one thing, that the Bible is the only book you really need to be successful. It is the original success manual. Every answer is in there. Every success book is based on the Word of God. Only it might be worded just a little bit differently. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that Jesus Christ came, that we may have life and have it more abundantly. I want to motivate you this morning. If you are still breathing, there is something for you. But before we dive into this today, I need to define a few terms that I'm going to be using throughout the message this morning. If you hear me use the word jungle, jungle is a metaphor for life. 
When you hear me talking about rhinos, it is a metaphor for winners. Dave Ramsey in the foreword of his book of this book says, rhinos are intense, passionate, and focused. Rhinos see where they want to go and start charging, knocking down everything that gets in their way. Rhinos get things done. They are leaders. They are winners. Rhinos are also on a narrow path. Very few are on this particular path because it's a hard path to travel. They pursue their goals. They have two-inch thick skin so that they can endure the struggles that will be met in the jungle called life. The other one is a cow. It is a metaphor for being a passive loser. They are on the broad road. And there's a lot on this road because it's the easy road to travel. They wait for external help to lead them and to motivate them. There is a little farm, I won't say little, it's a big farm, located in northwest Indiana, about 45 minutes north of my hometown of Lafayette. It's called Fair Oaks Farms. At Fair Oaks Farms, there are over, now this is interesting, you can see calves being born, and they've just now completed a restaurant where they serve steaks. <laughs> Delicious steaks, I might add. But you can go see the whole circle of life there. Um, and so the, it's Fair Oaks Farms. Great ice cream. Oh, the best. It's fresh. They will never ship it out. Um, and so uh, it's this farm. But there's over 32,000 cows producing 2.5 million pounds of milk every day. It has a carousel that you'll see on behind me. There are 72 cows on it at one time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It takes a lot of, of cows going in and getting all that milk. They do nothing more. These cows do nothing more. You see them in the background there? They're all just waiting to get milked. And when they don't get milk, they go to their stalls, and they, all they do is they sit there and eat the food that's been given to them, and they, then they chew on their cud the rest of the day. What a life. Sounds like a lot of Americans today, that's all they want. They, do not, they don't do anything for themselves. Proverbs 21, 25 tells us, despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Cows have to be guided, and they have to be told what to do. They just sit back and wait and wait and wait. They are lazy. They chew their cud. Anybody not know what a cud is? A cud, if you don't know what a cud is, is that portion of food that comes back up from one of their four stomachs, and they regurgitate it, and they chew on it all day long. They have little, cows have little, or a motivation to do anything at all. Now, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying that if you are a cow this morning that you are not a Christian, because there are some similarities based on Matthew chapter 7, 13, and 14, the broad road and the narrow road. But I don't want you to feel bad about cows either. They have a job to do as well. They supply the manure to fertilize the ground and the grass that we have in our yards. They give us milk so that the rhinos can have milkshakes every once in a while. 
They provide great landscape as you're traveling this great nation of ours. When you see, and this happens to me, when you see a cow on the side of the road, you go, hey, look, kids, there's a cow. I don't know why that is, but we do that. But most of all, well, not most of all, they do make great steaks too. I know you got y'all hungry now and you're ready to get up and go to, you know, Longhorn Steakhouse or something. But they also make great leather so that you can have a great wallet and all so that the rhinos can put all of their hard-earned money into that leather wallet. I want you, if you are a cow, I want you to be a happy cow. If you are a rhino, I want you to be a happy rhino. It is your choice. Everyone in this room and listening to me today has a choice. And just because your parents might have both been cows doesn't mean that you have to be one too. In this book, Scott starts out with a quote, the secret to success is naturally becoming a rhinoceros. The faster that you understand that, it, it, the faster that you will succeed in life and the faster that you will become a success. A rhinoceros, a winner. Once you begin to grasp a hold of this idea, the sky is the limit as to what you can achieve. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you want to be successful? If you are, if, if you do, there are a few things you need to do. The first thing that you need to do is get up early. I don't know about you, but I get up early just because I naturally wake up early. I go to bed when I get tired and I wake up when I wake up. I I hate sleep. Absolutely hate it. Now, most of you in this room are like, oh, I love sleep. I hate sleep. Uh, and so I get up early. And you need to wake up like a rhino every day and attack the day and not wake up like a sloth. You know what a sloth does. What's that movie that we like? What is, uh, Zootopia. They did a great job putting the sloth behind the DMV counter. That's what a sloth does. The second thing you need to do is be a dreamer. Dreaming is the lifeblood of people and organizations that are alive and thriving. Put your dreams in actions so that one day your dreams will become true. A lot of people dream and they have big plans for their lives, but they don't do anything about it. The third thing you need to do is be a visionary. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision is nothing more than the ability to see. People with absolutely no vision just have jobs. Yes, they're alive, but they're not going anywhere. Why? Because they don't know where they're going. They don't have a vision for their life. Businesses, organizations, schools. You'll find it on the front of our bulletin. If you look at it, down at the very bottom, NWB Church Mission Statement. These organizations have mission and vision statements. Why? Because it powerfully and clearly conveys the purpose and direction of that organization. What if you and I were to sit down and write out a mission, vision and mission statement for ourselves and our families, what would it look like? 
I don't know how many of you have even considered that. Because once you write a mission and vision statement, that's how you are going to live your life based on that mission and vision statement. The fourth thing that you need to do is set goals. Set goals. Write down your goals. Zig Ziglar has been quoted by saying, you hit what you aim at. And if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every single time. I know somebody would be really happy. I got, I got 100% and hitting nothing. That's how some of you would be. Dave Ramsey has said, goals are visions and dreams with work clothes on. Goals force practical steps to your life to make your dreams come true. He continues by saying, goals are the heavy lifting that cause the heavy lifting to occur. Goals convert vision into energy. And when you lay out exactly what you do, want to do in detail, you immediately start feeling the room move and the earth shake. You need to make your goals specific and then set reasonable deadlines for those goals. When I was in powerlifting, I had, uh, I had uh, uh, goals that I wanted to set. I didn't go out to set my, my ultimate goal. I didn't do that. I set increments of five pounds every time to increase my personal best by five pounds so that one day I would get out there and get my personal best. My best friend, Bill Gillespie, man, he is an animal when it comes to the weight room. He is, uh, holds many, many world records in the bench press and deadlift. And he, got, he was the one that got me started in this after my shoulder surgery. And I started going up and up and up. And he said, you got to get in some contests. And he goes, now when you get in these contests, you've got to start going by this particular routine and you've got to start setting these goals for yourself or you'll never achieve it. And one day I was up in the, in the he came visited me and we were up in the, in the weight room upstairs in the gym and uh, he started putting weight on. He go, and he didn't tell me how much, he just said, Dave, you're going to do this. And I'd get down there and I'd get down on my bench and I'd have everything ready and I'd do it and I'd do it, rack it, just like we were in a contest. And he put more weight on and more weight on. And he said, you could do it. He did. And he put it up there and he got it on. And I, ah, and I couldn't get the last one locked out. And I got up. I was disappointed. Because I thought maybe there was like, my, might have been 575 pounds on the bar. And he goes, I just wanted to see what you could attempt. I put 625 pounds on the bar and you almost got it. He goes, by the way, the one you did get was 600. I never could, I never could attempt the 600-pound bench press because I busted my bicep doing the deadlift at 575, opening up for a 700 deadlift. I busted my bicep, held the bar up, and still got third place, but it took away my bench press that day. But you know what? He pushed me beyond my limits. You need to set a plan. You need to stick to that plan. And you need to set reasonable goal, deadlines for those plans. The fifth thing you need to do is be organized. Keep a to-do to -do list. Check off those lists when you have finished them. One of my things that I would really love is a big old, all the whole wall, a whiteboard in my office. Huge whiteboard. To write things on. With no children coming in and going, Shh, you know, erasing it. I want to write on it and then check off the things that I want to do. So what do I do? I put it on my phone. <laughs> so far, my girls have not figured that out yet. They haven't gotten to that point. Uh, but you need to check them off. You need to be clean and neat. You need to be clean and neat. Now, you walk into my office, you're going to say, what hurricane came in here? 
I have a sign in my office. I, it's, I don't know if it's a Jamaican proverb or what. It says, a tidy desk is a sure sign of a sick mind. So I, I got that in my office because I live by that. Um, and so, but you need to be organized. I know where everything is at in my office. My mom has taught me that skill. She could have stacks of piles of everything on her desk. I would come into my, when I was working at Greenbush, and I'd say, Mom, I need this. And she would go and shift into here and another pile and go in here. She'd pull out exactly what I needed. And I look at her and I go, how in the world did you do that? And now I'm doing it. So, Mom, thank you for a great, great uh, example. Be clean and neat. Learn the importance of time management. It has been said that if you spend 15 minutes planning your day on paper every morning, you will add 20 20% to your productivity. You need to keep a journal. This is my journal. You need to write in it as much and as often as you can with whatever is on your mind. I get all kinds of thoughts and I just write them down. And then I go back and revisit those later on. Because a lot of those thoughts I get at maybe two or three in the morning. Uh, you know, it's the best time for me to really think. Um, but I write them down in my journal because I don't want to forget them. You need, as a rhino, you need to read, read and read. Find books that interest you. Find books that will make you grow. Find books that will make you learn. Find books that will motivate you. Because my daughter uh, last summer had to read a book on Abraham Lincoln. And so this summer we're wanting to take her to Washington, D.C. Uh, to see the Lincoln Memorial and then possibly go to Philadelphia to see the Liberty Bell. She's really into... Uh, learning about American history, and I'm excited about that. But it's because she read some books. And you can, you know, find books that you like, uh, too. I mean, listen, I'm going to tell you a little secret. I love this book for several reasons. First of all, it's thin. Second of all, it's got big font and a lot of white space. Third thing, it's got pictures, okay? We just got the graphic novel Bible. Uh, it's called the Action Bible. That thing is so cool. I can sit there and read it and read it and read it, and it's like the Bible has come alive to me because I love the pictures in the Bible that they have. It is just really, really cool. And if you don't have that, I suggest maybe going and getting it. My wife can tell you exactly where we got it from. Um, and then eighth, after you read, you need to exercise. 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, bodily training is of some value. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, or 24 to 27 says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs? Paul's talking here, but only one person gets the prize. Notice that. They're not in today's society where everybody, oh, you participated, you get a participation trophy. No. One person gets the prize, so run to win. The Apostle Paul's telling us to run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And then Paul concludes by saying, so I run with purpose. In every step, I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Hebrews 12, 11 and 12 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained for it. I have this verse up in my weight room, and I love the last line of it. And I use it, you know, it's out of context, but I use it because I love it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. 
is what it says. Number nine, we need to get plenty of sleep because without proper sleep, your body won't grow. You will always seem tired and your brain will never be able to focus. And then you need to eat properly. You all heard breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You also need to drink plenty of water. Your body's made up of 70% water. And if you don't eat properly, take a good vitamin with nutrients that you may not get from food. Why? Because when opportunity comes knocking in the future, you want to be physically ready to go. But what is God's real plan for success? It's found in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. That was all they had at the time. Today, we have the entire Bible to follow those instructions. Do not deviate uh, from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. So now it's time to get charging mad. If you are tired of being a good-for-nothing, lazy cow, grazing on the same pasture every day, then it's time to get mad, charging mad. I hope that you are fed up with doing nothing. I hope you're fed up with seeing nothing, and I hope you're fed up with accomplishing nothing. We need to get mad. Quit thinking of yourselves by living a cow's life is the only way that you have to live. It's not. You can break out of the cycle and begin living a life that God has planned for you. And the first order every day is to charge. And hopefully, you will begin writing down your dreams, your visions, and your goals so that you have something to charge at. It might even be a good little exercise today or the next week to make your own vision and mission statement for yourself. The second thing you want to do is charge massively. If you charge massively, you are going to get massive success and massive results. Don't let anyone or anything get in your way that is going to be a discouragement to you. When you see a challenge, take it head on. Be bold. Don't be timid. And don't be afraid of it. Proverbs 28 and verse 1 says, The wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. Dwight L. Moody once said, when we find a man meditating on the words of God, my friends, that man is full of boldness and is successful. Romans 8.31 tells us that if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Hebrews 13.6 says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. I love this last part. What can mere people do to me? With God on your side, what can mere people do to you? 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Joshua 1, 9, we go back to that one. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. David, in one of the Psalms, says, if I ascend to the tallest mountain, you are there. And if I go into the deepest parts of the ocean, you are there. If I go where it is pitch black, you are there. God is with you wherever you go. Don't be like a cat. I, you know, I'm sorry, Susan. There is only one good cat in the world. 
And that's a dead cat. But I love Susan, and Susan loves cats, so I therefore love cats. But don't be like a cat. A cat will arch his back, and he'll start to hiss. But when you go after him, what does he do? He's gone. And that's what most people do. They growl a little bit, they hiss a little bit, they arch their back a little bit, but when troubled times come, they're out of here. They are out of here. Don't be like a cat that does that and then scurries away. You have to have an I don't care about the torpedoes attitude. David Farragut, Admiral, U.S. Navy, back in the Civil War, was an admiral of the Union. Farragut was best known for his victory at the Battle of Mobile Bay in August of 1864. Mobile Bay is located at the southern tip of Alabama in the Gulf of Mexico. And it was, he, he was defended, and it was defended by several ports around it. And there's one way, little, little, little valley way into that. Do I have that slide? It's a one little valleyway that goes into that, right there, it's circled, right at the, ba- uh, the base of Alabama that goes into the Gulf of Mexico. And you got Mississippi on one side and Florida on the other, and there's that little, tiny little entrance. And that's where Fort Morgan was at. And so Admiral Farragut knew he had to go in there in order to win the battle, or the Confederate may not have won the Civil War. And so they line these things, if you'll go back one slide, they line these things with things called torpedoes. They look like submarines floating on the, uh, on the ocean or the, on, the, on the sea. Those are those things up front. You see them? They look like they've got little two little things. They were filled with dynamite and explosives. So when a ship would go over them, it would trigger it and it would explode and, and destroy the ship. Pretty ingenious. And so in order to do that, they would, uh, they would avoid them and the ships would go in and then they'd have to go against the big guns at Fort Morgan. So it was a big trap is what it was. And so Admiral Farragut was there and the lead ship had just been blown up. And the other ships didn't know what to do. And Admiral Farragut got up on August 5th 1864, and he said to all those ships, I don't care about those torpedoes, full speed ahead. And they went, and they went right over those torpedoes, and none of those torpedoes blew up. And it was a great victory for Admiral Farragut. It was the key victory in his life. What seemed to be, a, was going to be a disaster in his life, he turned into a victory. There are a lot of times that we sit there in our lives that we are like, this is such a disaster, this is not going to work. If we would have just kept on a little bit more, we don't know what would have happened. But you've got to get back up, and you've got to keep on going. Every, my, my coach, when I played football, I, we'd get... You know, I'd tackle somebody, and I always hear the coach say, hey, get up. Get up. Don't stay on the ground. Walter Payton, one of the greatest running backs that ever ran the ball, 
Every time he got hit, he got hit hard. He got tackled hard. He was the first one up. He, didn't, he goes, I don't care if, if I was hurt. I didn't want to let the opponent know that I was hurt. But a lot of us, we don't get back up. We stay down. And we let tragedy occur rather than success. So the idea behind this is give it all you've got, never allowing the possibility of failure to cross your mind. As a rhino, you put everything you've got into everything you do. There is absolutely nothing that you can't tackle. Everything you do, you do it massively. From the moment you jump out of bed in the morning until you get back into bed at night, you are doing nothing but charging. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for human masters. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. So start acting like it, would you? We act like a bunch of losers. Christians act like a bunch of losers, like we can't do anything. And yet we don't do it because we're doing it for our own glory instead of God's glory. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Third thing you need to do is charge with singleness of purpose. Rhinoceroses charge with singleness of purpose. All their energy is directed toward the attainment of one burning desire. This is the reason that you are so dangerous. And once you set yourself charging, there is nothing that's going to distract you. But here's the one key. You can never charge two things at once. A rhino has to focus on one target and get that one target. And then he needs to tar uh, focus himself on another target. You need, as a rhinoceros, don't spread yourself too thin. Because you might be the jack of all trades, but you're master of none. Don't spread yourself too thin. You must always remain focused on the task at hand. You cannot let yourself get distracted constantly. How do you do that? First of all, you focus your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that does easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Where are your eyes fixed this morning? Are they on you? Are they on Christ? Matthew 14, 28 says, Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it really is you, this is the, everybody knows this story that's ever read the Bible or been in church about Peter walking on the water. If it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Well, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went out over the edge of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? You see, when Peter took his eyes off of Christ, he began to sink because he had looked around at all the dangers that were around him instead of focusing on what would have actually been a saving grace for him. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. It has been said that don't let the noise of the world keep you from hearing the voice of God. 
Luke 20, uh, chapter 10, 38 to 42 is the story about Mary and Martha. And they come to Jesus' house, and there's a lot of them with the disciples, possibly families. There was a lot of people in this house. And then Jesus and the disciples continued on their way, it says in 38, they came to a certain village where there was a woman named Martha welcomed in into her home, and her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by a big dinner that she was preparing, and she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it uh, seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Think of a Thanksgiving dinner at your house, and you've got, I don't know, 50 people that you're preparing dinner for. Wouldn't you say the same thing? Of course you would. You're preparing a dinner for everybody else. Nobody cares that you're doing all the work. They're just sitting there listening to Jesus. And what is Jesus' response? The Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. One thing to be concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Martha became distracted with everything that she had to do with that dinner that really didn't matter. There's a lot of things in your life that you get distracted about that really does not matter at all in the scope of everything in your life. Focus on what does matter. The second thing you need to do is focus on what lies ahead. Proverbs 4, 25 and 27 says, look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And then you need to focus on your time. You need to focus on your time. I have developed, for me, a time management worksheet. This is a great thing to help me out. It, you know, I'll put down when I'm doing work, when I'm up, when I'm with family, when I'm doing my activities, when I'm sleeping, when I have my fun time. I challenge you to write one out for an entire week. Don't really look at it carefully. Just write out the things that you do. And then go back. You will see how much time you really waste. Ephesians 5, 15 and 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the most use of the time. Scott Alexander the author of this book had a Facebook post on February 18, 2017. It says, if you think that chasing your dream is too difficult, then you might as well throw the towel in right now. There's no use torturing yourself. Be an observer instead. Watch other people do it. Get a huge, big screen TV and live your life vicariously through others. Hey, we need spectators. We have lots of seats to fill. Get yourself a ticket. Sit your big butt down and watch others live the adventures while you wait contentedly for your burial. The audience of life far outnumbers the players. The seating in the auditorium is much larger than the stage. The bleachers can hold thousands, but there can only be a dozen or so on the team. Come on! Get in on this! You'll have fun. You go to Dolphin Stadium, whatever they call that now. Hard Rock Stadium. It's gone through like 5,000 different name changes. Every week it changes. 
Go to Hard Rock Stadium where the Dolphins play. And you look, and there's one team over here and one team over here. And there are only 22 players on the field at one time. That's it. But the stadium will hold 75,000 that think they know how to play better than the ones on the field. Don't they? Of course they do. Why did the coach do that? Why did that player do that? And they are the Monday morning quarterbacks if the Dolphins lose. And if the Dolphins win, it was because of their expertise that they had somehow given to them in the stands while they're doing it. And then you and I, those that don't go over there, we do the same thing in front of our TVs, don't we? We're yelling at our television sets. They can't hear you, folks, just to let you know. I know some of you think they can, but they can't. But what my point is, is there's a lot of people in the stands and very few people playing. I want to see just the opposite in the Christian world. I want to see a lot of people doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ and few people on the sidelines. Wouldn't that be awesome? God did not create you to live a distracted life or to live a life in a rut. God created you to live a Jesus-infused life. Now go out and start living like it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that God, I know this wasn't a regular Sunday morning message, but I pray that God, that something that was said will stir up these Christians that have been sitting on the sidelines, getting them motivated to get back out and doing the work that you would have them do, instead of saying, well, let's leave it up to the young people. They have more energy. God, there is a purpose as to why we are here until the very last breath we take here on earth. And before we take our first breath in heaven, there's a lot of work that's got to be done. Help us, motivate us to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you